today on Ag News Daily. Apparently, uh, you know, bad Chinese news is still bearish grain, but it was all over the place that we saw kind of that fell off there on Friday. And, and so I think that had a lot to do with it. We came in today. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is Monday here at Ag News Daily. I'm Mike Pearson, co-host, joined by Delaney Howell, fellow co-host. And Delaney, how are you doing today? I'm a little coffee today, Mike. It's that time of year when <clears throat> summer, summer colds or fall colds, whatever you want to call them, are starting to run their course. Yeah, yep, I hear that. I've got the allergies you know, in full bloom right now, so that's a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. That's about in the same camp. Yeah, basically. But, you know, hey, that's life in the Midwest. This is what happens. This is what we signed up for. Exactly. That we did. That we did, Mike. Well, speaking of sign up for, I've been watching on Twitter. Some of my farmer friends who signed up for MFP payments have been getting them in the mail, which I think is good news. All right. I haven't heard of too many folks getting those yet, but it sounds like maybe it's just uh maybe it was a little bit delayed because of the budget stuff going on last week that finally got sorted out. So, sounds like folks can soon expect theirs then. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully those uh, those checks just keep on flowing. Keep on flowing. Yes, indeed. Well, since we're talking about the checks of course, the reason for those checks was because of our trade negotiations, primarily with China, but also with you, with the USMCA, Japan, and some of those other countries that have had tariff impacts. And apparently, there were some comments made by reporters as well as the Trump administration that the reason for the cancellation last week was not a bad sign for commodities or for trade negotiations in general, and that the last-minute cancellation of those U.S. farm tours by Chinese visitors was just that they were concerned it would be turned into a media circus or give the impression that China was interfering in U.S. politics. So that was kind of the official reason for delaying those trade visits to the U.S. farms, but President Trump also made some comments this week, or either Monday or Friday, I'm not sure what the exact deadline or uh, headline was for those dates, but basically made some comments saying he's not concerned and he's in no rush to create a U.S.-China trade deal, and he said it, he doesn't think that it needs to happen before the 2020 election. think we likely will, Mike. Yeah, about 600,000 metric tons of soybeans, and uh, that'll be shipped here in the next marketing year, so good news there, and we'll be coming out of the Pacific Northwest, so great news for our friends up in the Dakotas who have been dealing with terrible, terrible faces for their, their soybean crops with China out of the market. Okay. Mike, what other uh, news is jumping out at you today? Well, I will be very honest. I'm on the road today, and my internet just crashed. So I don't at present have news, but it's trying to reload. But Delaney, why don't you tell us your other news story? Well, Mike, in other news, harvest time is right around the corner. But we saw as of 
Last In the last week, USDA and the U.S. Wheat Association is noting that the 2019 hard red winter wheat harvest is winding down. We're about 95% complete in Montana, 99% complete in Washington, and 96% complete in Idaho. And I'm sure we can get a little update on that from Angie today as well, but sounds like the crop is looking pretty decent, so... Well, good news there. Absolutely. It's, it's been a challenge. You know, with all of the rainfall that has fallen across the northern plains, I know there have been a lot of concerns about quality as we've gotten mm -hmm. a little bit later here into the season. And uh, so hopefully growers are, are able to get out there, dodge a couple of rains, and finish that wheat crop, get the harvest wrapped up. Yes, but uh, I'm really, I'm just so excited. I think I've seen a couple of folks starting to slowly get ready, talk to some people again today, some farmers down from southeast Iowa and my parents neck of the woods about getting into the fields. They, it sounds like it's this week, next week at the latest when we are going to start seeing those combines roll. All right. Well, that is very good news, Delaney. Yes, it is, Mike. Is that what you're hearing from folks too? I know you get to travel a lot too and talk to a lot of growers. Are you thinking folks are going to be in the fields this week? You know, it, it, there's a bit of a bifurcation. The growers who are able to get in early and dodge those May rains, you know, with that April planted corn, yeah, they're getting very close. I'm, I'm looking forward to my drive today. I'll be touring the corn crop across uh, northern Illinois and central Iowa, and I'll get a feel for just how it's looking. But, uh, yeah, I, I think there's going to be those that are getting in there in the next uh, week, two weeks, ten days maybe, and then I think there are those who are going to be pushing – you know, they're going to need every frost-free day in October they can have to uh, to get this corn crop through to maturity. Yeah, it's uh, going to be an interesting growing season, just like it was an interesting planting season, that is for sure. Yeah, well, indeed, Delaney Howell, it sure is. The um, I did have some news. We've been watching uh, crude oil, of course, since last Saturday's fire at the Saudi Aramco energy uh, you know, oil refinery. And Saudi Arabia came out today, kind of uh, put a little damper on the oil market, ended up positive for the day. But they came out and said that they will be restoring full oil output by the end of next week, which is much faster than I think the trade had anticipated. Oh, yeah, that's, that's way fast. I thought it was going to take like a month or two to get some of that fixed and right. back up. Huh. Well, to put another... Yeah, so that's uh, good news there for, uh, for those of us who are buying gasoline. And another, uh, another little damper, I guess, for those folks hoping that maybe perhaps the ethanol markets would get a little bit of a bump in sales with the, with the price of gasoline, but it sounds like that's not going to happen now. Another issue, of course, we've been watching, though, has been just the conflict between oil state senators and ethanol state senators and really what the administration has been doing or hasn't been doing about it. We saw last Thursday that several oil state senators met with President Trump on the record, and President Trump issued Larry Kudlow, the director of the National Economic Council, to be in charge of drafting his new biofuel plan, according to an oil industry source. So not sure what that's going to look like again. Of course, there have been some rumors trickling around. We've heard good comments from Governor Reynolds as well as Senator Chuck Grassley, but... Not sure exactly what that is going to look like. 
we will just have to keep an eye on it, Delaney Hall. Yes, we will. And I'm not sure that this was necessarily a cause and effect here, but it definitely could have been. Uh, and that is, of course, that just the ethanol industry has not been doing very well. And according to the Energy Information Administration, they are forecasting lower ethanol production again for 2019 as well as 2020. And ex it's expected to decline um, about half a billion gallons of fuel produced for the uh, 2019 heading into 2020 ethanol season here. Well, so I guess we're just going to have to wait and see what happens with the RFS and whether or not these uh, refinery exemptions continue to hurt the ethanol industry. Yes, we will. But Mike, I am out of news other than the commodity markets for today. What else is popping up on your screen? I am also out of news, so why don't you just close us out with the markets, and we'll jump right to our conversation with Angie Setzer. All right. Well, I would love to, and we have seen quite a bit of green on the screen, primarily in the soybean markets today, Mike, as you mentioned there. But let's start off first with the corn contract closes for today. Looking at the December new crop contract gained two and a half cents to end at three seventy-three and a quarter, while the March put on two and a half cents as well. To end at 384 and a quarter. As I mentioned there, November soybeans were a big winner in today's markets, putting on nine and three quarter cents to close at 892 and a half. The January contract put on nine and a half cents to close at 906 even. The wheat pits did not get a bump today with winter wheat harvest coming to an end as the December contract lost a penny and a quarter to close at 483 even and the March down a penny to close at 490 even. Hopping over into the livestock market, there is lots of green across the screen. Looking at the October live cattle contract up $2.50 today to end at $101.85. The December up $2.62.5 to close at $107.77.5. In the feeder cattle pits, the green continues with the September contract adding $1.27 to close at $141.60. The October adding $205 to close at $141.25. Even the lean hog pits got a bounce today with the October contract adding 60 cents to close at 60.95, the December adding $2.12 to close at 68.37 and a half. And rounding out our markets with the class 3 milk futures, the September contract was unchanged to close at 18.26, while the October cut 35 cents today to end at 18.31. Without further ado, let's turn it over to our conversation for today's Market Monday episode with Angie Setzer. Well, as promised, we are chatting with at Goddess of Grain, Angie Setzer for today's Market Monday, who's of course also the Vice President of Grain for Citizens LLC. Angie, how are you doing today? I am doing great. How are you guys? We are not too bad, especially for those soybean producers. Angie, let's jump right into it. Tell us what was going on today. Was it promises of Chinese purchases that uh, sparked us higher today? I think that helped. I think also kind of recognizing, you know, Friday we had, uh, we finished the day on Thursday with all of this excitement of uh, our Chinese trade delegation was going to be coming and visiting, you know, Montana and Nebraska um, which I kind of made a joke about the vast soybean and cornfields of Montana. But in any event, we were kind of excited about this idea 
that, you know, they were coming to visit our farms. Most folks, some other folks were like, uh, you know, ASF, anyone concerned about that at all? But um, so we had that Thursday sort of excitement that, hey, we're getting somewhere. And then Friday morning came and, you know, we saw some of those President Trump tweets or conversations, some quotes were released that, you know, hey, we don't need this deal. I'm not going to do a partial deal. Uh, et cetera, et cetera. And then in that afternoon, we had seen the Montana Farm Bureau kind of say, hey, the Chinese trade delegation is canceling this visit. Um, and then also the, the Nebraska Farm Group said the same thing. And so then everyone was kind of like, oh, man, this is a bad sign. Um, but then this morning we had uh, the Chinese press come out and say, no, it's, it just happened to be a coincidence. It wasn't anything uh, to do with anything other than timing wise just didn't work. You know, maybe someone's kid had a recital or something. Who knows? They just had to be home <laughs> for it. So uh, so he just kind of, I think, they had this sort of Friday. was It was really interesting to see. Apparently, uh, you know, and someone had tweeted, uh, apparently, uh, you know, bad Chinese news is still bearish grains. But it was all over the place that we saw kind of that sell off there on Friday. And, and so I think that had a lot to do with it. We came in today with some strength. Um, I think some recovery after uh, that that big move lower on on Friday, and and you know then we had uh, export inspections looked pretty good, and then that conversation about another ten cargoes of beans being bought um, did not hurt. Uh, so we closed higher today. I, I was a little disappointed. I mean eight and a half is nice, um, but we just really tried to trade into that nine dollar range again on the the Nove nineteen. Um, and and failed. I'd, I'd like to see us kind of get back up above nine and and trade steady. But at this point, we seem to be just really locked in that uh, sort of trading range that we've seen since the uh, midsummer. Yeah, and Angie, when you look out at today's price action after we had the report of the Chinese soybean purchase, you know we definitely saw some buoyancy across the grains. How did that spill spill over into the corn market? And we saw the corn market up a couple. I thought we, you know, we saw some downside uh, there on uh, Friday afternoon. Same thing, you know, uh, sort of story. Just some some uh, uh, sadness. I would say corn um, actually today was a bit better. Uh, and people will be like, corn was only up two. What are you talking about? But we had really, really poor um, inspection numbers come out in corn. Just absolutely kind of abysmal there. And uh, uh, still we're able to kind of gain a couple cents here on, on the corn side of things. So I think corn's trade, you know, was actually somewhat um, okay. We opened a, a bit higher last night and then kind of just kept on on trucking. We did get up into that 374 and a half uh, sort of range on the high side there for the December board. Um, and that, again, has been sort of a recent um, sort of high here. And so we want to see that support continue and, and try to confirm there's been some talk of this, uh, uh, you know, some some chart indications that maybe we have put a, a short term low in place. Um, I'd like to see that confirmed, you know, and, and I'm really one of the, the odd ducks out there. I'm not really expecting the USDA to surprise us too much with any sort of yield or harvest data um, in the October report. But I am wondering what the quarterly stocks number is going to show us that's going to be released on Monday. Um, you know, I think that the the old crop basis values that are trading, and we've had a lot of conversation about this um, back and forth on Twitter and, you know, outside of, of the Twitter world, you know, indicating that 
we don't have this carryout that the USDA is is predicting. So a year ago, we had you know 300 million bushels less than current uh, predictions from the USDA um, based on the carryout numbers. So the the old crop ending stocks that were released in in September's report, you know, at that close to 2.4 billion bushel, is what we should be on hand for September 1st in in next Monday's numbers. And, you know, I'm of the belief that, you know, if we really did have that amount, I mean, if you look at the combined difference between old crop corn carryout and soybean carryout versus a year ago, we should have some pretty solid evidence that we're choking on something, yet we aren't. So I, I am interested to see if perhaps we won't see some upside movement potentially ahead of next week's quarterly stocks number, just in the idea that we are going to see a reduction in old crop carryout based on what the cash market is showing us. Um, but I've been waiting to see where the corn is here since about March. So I, I could be completely wrong in this, but not, not surprised by some support. Wouldn't be surprised by some continued support, you know, here as we move ahead and, and hopefully maybe see some continuation and, and, uh, demand growth, whether it's exports or, or maybe feeling a little bit about what ethanol looks like here in the, the, the days ahead. Angie, you mentioned quarterly grain stocks and talked about a little bit on the corn side. Are, are, is the trade anticipating any major changes to the soybean numbers? I don't think so. Um, I mean, I, I think soybean numbers maybe aren't uh, – we haven't heard anyone really talking about how great soybean basis is. We've actually – it's not as bad as what it was a year ago in the Eastern Belt, but I think that's because uh, production is expected to be down going into new crop as as well. And, and overall, um, we haven't seen – the basis shifts that we've seen in corn like we have. I mean, in corn, we're talking 50, 60, 70 cents better than where we were a year ago. Now, granted, a year ago, we were next, especially Illinois, with a record crop coming in. So you've got to take some of that with a grain of salt. But soybeans at this point don't really appear to be set up for any sort of shocks, um, I would say, overall. Not saying it's impossible, but most folks are, are feeling that there are a significant amount of soybeans being held over by the, the commercials and that we will, you know, really kind of come in close to where the USDA was, um, you know, in the the uh, ending stocks figure announced there at their supply and demand report released mid-month. But uh, soybeans are ripe for some surprises here, and that's one thing that will be interesting is, you know, are we going to have um, – you know, are we going to have a lot of on-farm beans left or or not? And now, I can say as of September 1st, I had a lot of customers that were still sitting on a good amount of, of beans. Um, and we see this almost every year if they're holding on to them where it's kind of like, oh, I've got plenty of time before harvest gets here. And then slowly the, the leaves start to turn and drop and suddenly the panic sets in a little bit. But, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what the USDA says on Monday. But I don't think many are expecting a big change um, versus corn where a lot of folks are scratching their head and, and wondering what we'll see. Angie, with all that being said, then looking at storage, if I am a producer, I maybe don't have all of my crop marketed ahead. Would you be recommending folks hold their new crop corn or their new crop soybean at this point once the once the combines start to get rolling? That's such a hard, uh, it's it's such a, a hard individualized question, really, when it comes down to it. It, it definitely depends on, uh, you know, each farm and, and how they're set up. I say the worst thing, you know, versus an empty bin is a half full bin. So if you don't have enough beans to, to fill a bin and, and you are moving corn at the harvest market structure, then you're you're not really doing yourself full service on that side, for one. 
you know, for two, you've got to look at what your basis opportunities are going to be. I mean, if you're in an area where basis tends to be flat throughout the year, um, you know, or, or maybe you're dependent upon the export market, you've got to ask yourself what kind of faith you have in the fact that we're going to see, you know, some sort of Chinese trade uh, resolution come up uh, before next November or something like that. On a, you know, face value, just looking at carry, um, you know, bean carry is, is great. It's 35 cents out to the May board, you know, another almost a dime, nine cents to, to July, you know, so you're looking at 40, 45 cents last year. I think it got out to as wide as 60 at one point. Um, you know, so, so carry tends to be really lucrative on the bean side of things. Um, you know, and, and then you just have to really kind of ask yourself though what your basis structure is going to look like. You know, for us a year ago, we went from 85 under at harvest time uh, to 50 under uh, for February movement. Combine that with, uh, you know, 28 cents of, of carry that we got uh, from the Nove to the March last year for February. Made sense to hold those beans, but you really got to be talking to your buyer um, to see if that's something that you're really going to be looking at or if, in fact, you're just going to see kind of the stagnant basis and only be capturing the carry difference in the board. Um, you know, on the corn side of things here in the Eastern Corn Belt, you know, we're really kind of looking at what's going to be an inverted market structure at face value as we work our way into harvest. These, the end users are going to be trying to, to fill their space as best they can, you know, some of which offering some really competitive uh, bids, you know, for harvest time that we're not used to seeing. Um, you know, what I've really been telling my growers this year, and I think it's true for everyone, is the uncertainty as to where futures are going to move is, is at the highest I can remember seeing it in a very long time. Is the USDA going to make major adjustments to corn production like some are expecting? I don't know. Are they going to leave it unchanged? Also don't know. What's going to happen in South America? Definitely as big a question mark as anything else. So I've been telling my growers here to kind of remove some of the emotion. Typically, I'm a big proponent of, you know, working basis and future separately and trying to find the better opportunities for the two. But this year, I've really turned to my to turned my focus to what does the cash price look like for corn and what are you willing to trade? Um, so if you're in the eastern corn belt and you know that you're looking at over basis levels and, and have the ability to, to be locking in, you know, somewhere in the 4 to 420, 425 range, you know, after holding the grain in the bin versus maybe harvest delivery in that 385, 390 or less. Like I said, depends on where you're at basis-wise. Um, you know, I've just been telling my, my folks to really kind of be looking at cash, especially on the corn side, and, you know, just being willing to to be a seller of a cash value and, and moving on. Um, so it's it's definitely so individualized. I don't mean to to not give a direct answer in that, but it really just depends on your area, your market structure, and you know what you're trying to accomplish and in, in your individual costs of holding that grain in the bin, you know, for months ahead. Absolutely. And Angie, when you look out at the world of wheat, why don't you tell us what your thoughts are there looking at the at the Chicago wheat contract? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Chicago weed, it breaks my heart every day. So I said it earlier today, but if you ever feel insignificant, just know one tiny bug can get 1,900 bushels plus of wheat rejected. So that'll just tell you my feeling about wheat uh, today. Um, you know, I, I think as a whole, you know, we had gained back 40 some cents 
on Chicago wheat and no one talks about it. It you know, we bottomed out there on the D's around four forty five or so. I think I, I think I blacked out at some point. It got so ugly. Um and now here we are trading around four eighty one and a half on the December board. There's almost no carry in the market. So that's what's interesting to me is everyone in the Chicago wheat market is talking about how much we have, you know, on hand and, and how negative the the price direction should be. But the carry structure is kind of saying, yeah, you know, it's not really the case. Let's bring it to the market here sooner than later, at least based on historical carry values that, that you'd be looking at here in the past. Um, I do think there'll be more opportunities. Most of my growers lately have been able to sell wheat, you know, at slight over basis levels. So that's been providing us with some reasonably decent cash opportunities. Most folks I know have, have moved a lot of their uh, wheat that they produced this last summer already in preparation for harvest. So they're not too worried about that. But Anything above $5 cash, I think if you have old crop Chicago wheat in the bin, um, definitely needs to be looked at as a, sell, a selling opportunity. July 20, I don't know. I, I It's too cheap. Uh, the last few years we've had opportunities, 550 to 575. That really kind of solidified the idea of going out and planting more. However, this year we have a lot of idle ground, you know, specifically in Michigan and Ohio that needs to to go somewhere. Uh, so I've seen folks on Twitter, even um, Glenn Newcomer, a friend of mine, I think this is the first time he's planted wheat in a decade. I'm not 100% sure on that, but quite some time. And I've had a lot of my growers out planting wheat in what was their prevented plant ground. So it'll be interesting to see. We'll have two different rounds. You know, the first round will be here this last week or so. Second round will be after bean harvest. So when does bean harvest wrap up? What are those conditions looking like? Do we see that heavy rainfall pattern that we've seen in the Western Belt move to the Eastern Belt? Dear God, I hope not. Um, but if we do, then that obviously will, um, you know, kind of remove this idea of a significant increase in, in wheat acreage. But at, at this point, you know, she's feeling pretty heavy. Uh, I've been looking at July 20. My target had been initially 550, 575 kind of backed that up to five and a quarter. Now today we kind of adjusted our orders back to get our first 5,000 sold at five with the idea that we'll end up with $5 cash if, if supplies are somewhat burdensome and we get a chance for carry and a, a reasonable basis next harvest. So um, maybe wheat's just broke my heart enough that I no longer have any solid expectations, but I think we'll, you know, there's a lot of global things that are impacting the wheat market as a whole. It'll be interesting to see what happens with spring wheat from a quality standpoint, but for soft red winter wheat, which is what the Chicago wheat market is, we really can't step in and take any of that anyway. That's going to be bullish for Kansas City wheat if if the spring wheat structure does have a, a quality issue and, and, you know, kind of that begins to surpass even the old crop carryout they have. Um, so Chicago wheat kind of just going to sit here and bide its time and, you know, maybe hop on a, a rally train if we see one elsewhere. But right now my, my hopes are somewhat <laughs> limited. Maybe they should be better, but maybe that's a sign we'll rally just simply because I'm expecting nothing out of wheat now, you know, since it's the end of September and, and we're working our way into to planting season again. Absolutely. Angie Setzer, you are known for your quality tweeting. Where can our listeners find you and uh, keep up to date with everything you've got going on? I appreciate your use of air quotes with quality tweeting there, but you can find me on Twitter at Goddess of Grain, or you can... <laughs> or you can email me at asetzer at citizenselevator.com. Uh, I may not have too much in the way of great uh, advice, but I definitely can always come through with a sarcastic comment if needed. So, uh, so yeah, you can find me either place, and, and I am uh, general, generally, uh, unfortunately, always on uh, the, the Twitter sphere. 
Well, again, do look up Angie there on Twitter if you're not following her yet. You definitely should be at Goddess of Grain on Twitter. And if you're also not following Angie, you might not be following Ag News Daily as well. So find us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Ag News Daily. Mike, with that, should we let the people go? Well, let's let them go. <laughs> <laughs>